Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Today we are in a series called Go the Distance. It's Father's Day. So I'd like to wish you all a happy Father's Day. Uh, That's new fathers, young fathers, old fathers, all the fathers, soon-to-be fathers. And today we set aside this day to celebrate and honor fathers. But at the same time, I believe that fatherhood isn't something you just simply achieve when you have children. See, it takes a lifetime of dedication and trust and unconditional love and relationship with our children to raise healthy, godly children. But we, as fathers, we can't offer godly trust and love and relationship if we're always looking in the rear view of our past. Some of us in this room carry father wounds, whether we know it or not. And we can't be the fathers that God has called us to be if we're living in unforgiveness hidden deep within our hearts. Some of us don't even know that we have it. And some of us do know that we have it. But these father wounds can be healed. You see, God wants to capture the hearts of men. God wants to capture the hearts of men and fathers to love and raise their children up to have hearts for God. I think the key to most men's future is healing from our past. And whether we know it or not, our fathers have a huge influence over our lives, whether it be for good or if it be for bad. You've heard the old saying, like father, like son. And whether we know it or not, we typically become our fathers, whether it's for good or for bad. And as far as I can see, there's five types of fathers, and I'm not trying to make anyone bitter in here, okay? I'm not trying to make you bitter, but we do need to be truthful about the world we live in and the types of fathers that we all experience. Some of the fathers can be all of these things, and some of the fathers can be one of these things. But the first father I have here is the tragic father. This is the father that isn't present because of some type of tragedy, whether it be cancer or an accident or killed in action in the military. He's not present, not because he doesn't love you, but because of some type of tragedy. The second father I have here is the terrible father. This is the father that abandons the mother and children. He's not helpful. He's not present. He's not generous. He doesn't Like I said, I don't want to make you bitter. God can heal all of these things. But we have to be honest. The third father is the tough father. This is the father that's overbearing and domineering and seeks confrontation. He's the alpha male. Doesn't show much emotion unless the Braves give up a loss after 14 straight wins. Don't even get me started on the Falcons. We'd be here all day. 
But this father wants to relive the glory days through his child. He says things like, suck it up, walk it off. I'm hard on you because I love you. This is the tough father. The tender father. This is the father that's passive or weak. He's a nice guy, but nobody really respects him. He hides from confrontation. He doesn't say much when it comes to controversial issues. And he kind of gets walked on. This is the tender father. And then there's the terrific father. You have the father that loves Jesus. He loves you. He's emotionally present. He prays with you to Jesus. He's the terrific father. He wasn't perfect, obviously. But he's pretty terrific. How many people have that father? It's good. Glad to see that. But I believe the real epidemic in American society is fatherless homes. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.4 million children live in a fatherless home. That is one in four live without a biological step or adopted father in the home. And I have to take my hat off to people that do adopt, that do go the extra mile. It's an amazing thing when fathers who don't have their own children but father someone else. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you can also do that as men of God in a spiritual way. The Christian way to say that, or I should say the church lingo is a spiritual father. This is someone older. This is someone who loves God, who who's wants to raise up someone who is a little younger than them. And we promote all of these things at Activation Church. But one in four live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. You see, that's enough children to fill New York City twice that are living fatherless. That's the same amount would be four times in LA. You could fill LA four times over with the children that live fatherless. But see, research shows that the father's absence affects children in numerous ways. And this is not to say that the mother's doing a bad job. This is just to say that she could use a hand. And the statistics are saying that uh, the family dynamic is incomplete without the father's presence. And I'll show you. This is fatherless children are four times greater at greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality. I remember when my children were born, we had the, the camera, you know what I'm saying? That little camera. And they were this big then. Now they're like this big. And it's like 40,000 K. But I remember laying in bed just hearing that. And every time I'd be like, what's happening? Do I hear something? I don't hear anything. What's happening? I, I mean, I couldn't even sleep next to it. It's just, it would drive me insane because the whole time I'm thinking, what's happening? I hope he's not, is he breathing? What's he doing? And the same thing with my daughter. <clears throat> but there Two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crimes, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Seven times greater. More likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, 
two times more likely to drop out of school. You see, the presence of a father in the home is valuable, and the father's influence is important. This, to me, is the epidemic of the United States culture. Children raising themselves, mothers abandoned, abused. Brings me, it brings me to say this, and I am jumping ahead. We live in a cursed culture. And I don't say that lightly. <clears throat> Matter of fact, there's a lot of things I'm about to say that personally I would rather not say. <clears throat> but I'm going to say them anyways. If you would, go to the last book of the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament. And just before the closing of the Old Testament, you'll find the book named Malachi. Malachi means my messenger. He was a prophet of God, and his ministry was intended to foreshadow the coming of a new messenger. He is later identified in the New Testament as John the Baptist. Malachi prophesied of John, and John prepared the way for Jesus. And these were Malachi's last words. Now, before I go into this, John the Baptist was Jesus's redneck Jedi cousin who lived in the woods and ate bugs and honey. Does anybody, know, does anybody have a cousin that does that? I love going to visit my cousins. They live in the woods, and I'm pretty sure they eat honey. I don't know about bugs. They definitely live in the woods. I mean, you can't find their place. It's a bunker. But this is Jesus' cousin. This is John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. And here, Malachi, 400 years of spiritual silence after these words are penned. 400 years of spiritual silence just after this is penned. In Malachi, the fourth chapter, the fifth, ver uh, fifth verse through the sixth, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah. This is speaking of John, of course. I will, spend, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Other translations say, I will curse you. If the fathers do not turn their hearts towards their children and their children's do, children do not turn their hearts towards their fathers, your land will be cursed. We see this reiterated in Luke, the first chapter in the 17th verse. Luke writes, and he, John, will go before him, this is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To what? To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Are we prepared? And I'm not speaking to individuals in this room. I'm speaking to the American culture. 
How does the American culture get turned, changed? Through you. Through churches like this. So John is preparing the way for Jesus, who can heal the hearts of fathers and children. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can do this. The leading cause of death in the United States is not the mysterious flu or cold. It's not heart disease at 696,000 deaths in 2019. It's not cancer at 6,000 or 600,000 in 2019. It's abortion at 930,000 in 2020. That's one abortion every 34 seconds. That's 63.6 million plus since Roe versus Wade in 73. And this is a hot topic right now. 63 million plus of God's children snuffed out before they could see the light of day. That's heartbreaking. We live in a cursed culture. But see, God can, can, can forgive these horrendous acts of sin. He can forgive any sin if we repent. And God is calling us as a culture to repent. And we need Jesus to turn our hearts towards our children. God is saying if we don't, Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Those is fighting words. In our culture, children barely know what a healthy, godly man even looks like. I know in my generation, the most famous dad on television, Homer Simpson. These are the men that I grew up watching. Let's even get older. Sam Malone. Nobody? <laughs> that proves how old I am. Gilligan's Island. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm being serious. Peter Griffin. These are the men that we grow up watching. Children do not know what a masculine godly man looks like. Men are waiting to their early 30s to get married. <laughs> I'm not looking at anyone. This is the longest in history. <laughs> this is the longest in history men have been waiting to get married. I got married when I was 27. I'm in that boat. I, I'm, I'm having fun, but I'm about to say some stuff I don't want to say. Um, <clears throat> the number one consumer, and I'll try to be sensitive here, of X-rated material are young boys from 12 to 17 years old. 12 to 17. That means from a boy's life from 12 to early 30s of getting married in 32, at 32, he will have watched 20 years 
of X-rated material while dating and fornicating, and then we wonder why his marriage doesn't work out. Then we wonder why his marriage isn't healthy. The least likely person to go to college is a male, not a female. The least likely person to go to church is a male, not a female. The least likely person to have a driver's license is a male, not a female. Now, how does this happen? We live in a cursed culture. How do we reverse this curse? I'll show you. God is my father. He gives me a new heart, a heart for him. Then I take that same heart and reflect it at my children, show them the father heart of God. Then in return, they accept the father heart in me and the father heart of God. It all starts in the hearts of men, fathers. I have to be honest here and confess some things. In 2010, we went to Piedmont to have my first child, Caius. He's uh, playing baseball right now. Uh, he needs to get saved and get back in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> but <clears throat> we went to the hospital and they're like, hey, it's time, we're doing this thing. And I'm like, all right, cool. And they're setting us up in our room, and, you know, Missy's getting ready. She's, she's doing whatever it is that pregnant women do. I don't know what that is. Um, <clears throat> never experienced that, but uh, I can only tell you what she was doing. She's getting ready, putting her stuff away, calling 50,000 people to come in the room. And I was looking under the TV to see where the Xbox would plug in. Now, remember... <laughs> If you've ever had a child, your life is about to change. And I was more worried about my kill-death ratio. I'm 27 years old. Now, mind you, I didn't live with my parents, but I was 27 years old. Or I was 30 at this point, sorry. I was 27 when I got married. So, <laughs> I'm confessing. I mean, I did that. And I'm like texting my buddies, you know, my Call of Duty buddies. I'm like, yeah, bro, it's going to happen. We're going to get this thing going. You know, and then everything starts, and you're like, you don't remember any of those conversations. And I thought to myself, it's probably time to grow up now. It's probably time to grow up, you know. I'm, you know, just a few hours away from having my first child, you know. I don't really need to cram in some Call of Duty. So... <laughs> You know, I'm about to be responsible for another human being's life. And you don't think that way in the moment. It's only after the moment. But I have to be honest, God started to go to work on my heart a little bit. <clears throat> and when we had our first child, I always say this, that, that Caius, uh, apart from Jesus, obviously, Caius is one of the greatest influences on my life. And I say this, you know, because the first time you see your child's face, your entire life suddenly comes into focus. Things start to become a little clearer. And suddenly I'm responsible for this, you know, nine pound, three ounce life. And I have to be honest, I was amazed and terrified uh, at the fact that we were about to load this baby into a Ford Explorer and leave the hospital without an instruction manual. 
I'm like, we're just allowed to leave? You know, because the first night you're there, they're like, would you like us to take him to the nursery? You know, the first child, you're like, no, we want him to be right there. He's got to be right there so we can hear him, we can see him, we can pet him, we can look at him, we hold him. Your second child, you're like, how many days can I leave the child in the nursery? But suddenly I'm in charge of this, this life and I'm in charge of what he eats and what he sleeps. And you think you're sick of certain worship songs? Caius slept for 30 seconds a night. We had to take shifts putting him to bed. And it would be 45 minutes of, you are mighty to save. You are mighty to save. Sing it again. Jesus. 45 minutes. And then he would look at you. And you start again. He is mighty to save. By that time, the whole half of your shirt is soaking wet. You've lost your voice. You've sang mighty to save 17 times. And you just want to stop and go to sleep. And then the next crew would come in. <laughs> we were like walking zombies. And our mother-in-law helped us out a whole lot. <laughs> but yeah, you think you're sick of worship songs. I never wanted to sing that again. But... It, it, it was the only song I could remember all the lyrics to. Sorry. So we're in charge of what he's going to watch, where he's going to play, what he's going to do. You know, and all of these thoughts, you know, because you think about them growing up, you know, and what you're going to do in certain parts of their life. And, you know, all of this stuff's going through your head. And <clears throat> suddenly I'm like, got to go to Scripture. I got to go to Scripture. And this is not like your devotional time scripture. This is like hands to the plow, digging, digging, digging deep. Going through the Bible cover to cover in less than 90 days. Because I needed some answers. Where are we going to go with this? Where are we going to go with this child? How are we going to do this? And in short, God went to work on my heart. And I thought, you know, if I could love some, someone like I love this person, then God's love must be infinitely more powerful and greater. The love of the Father. And so now, since my heart has been changed, and has been turned towards my children, my children now turn their hearts towards me and my Heavenly Father. You see, if we can't relate and love our earthly fathers, then how are we going to relate and love to our heavenly father? For some people, the word father is a bad word. For some people, they, they've been abandoned, they've been abused, they've been mistreated, and, and father is a bad word. And how do you think that affects the way they see God the father? You see, our view of God can be a projection or a rejection of our earthly fathers. And I can show it to you through ideologies and religions throughout all of history. <clears throat> Atheism says, I have no father. Agnosticism says, I have a father, but I don't know him and I don't really care to meet him. Theism says, I have a father, but he's far away, he's non-relational, and he's not really involved in my life. 
Some denominations of evangelical Christians say, I have a father, but he's domineering, he's overbearing, and he's angry. Other denominations in evangelical Christianity will say that I have a father, but he lets me do whatever I want without any consequences. Contemporary Christianity says I have a father, but he acts more like a cool uncle. And feminism says I'd be better off calling Father God Mother God. For some, our view of God can be a projection or a rejection of our earthly fathers. You see, if our father was tough, we'd probably see God as overbearing and domineering. If our father was tender, you'd probably see God as passive or weak, a nice guy, but you don't really respect him. And if your father was a hypocrite, you'd probably see God as not very trustworthy or inconsistent. But see, by forgiving our earthly fathers, we remove the lens through which we see our heavenly father. And so what we should do is we should start with a relationship with our heavenly father and then re-examine our relationship with our earthly fathers. You know, in the Christian church could be partly to blame about this. Because there's very little teaching as God as father. We tend to lean towards the member of the Trinity that our denomination talks about most. Instead of diving in to the glory of the full Trinity, Father God, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So where do we go to learn about God as Father? If you look through the Old Testament, you'll see about 15 times where God is referred to as Father. 15 times. You do realize that your Bible is two-thirds Old Testament. One-third New Testament. In two-thirds of the Bible, God is referred to Father around 15 times. And it's only in regards to the nation of Israel, not an individual. So where do we go to learn about God as Father? Matter of fact, the Jews of Jesus' day hesitated to call God their father, and they killed Jesus for it. Because he claimed to be the son of God. So, throughout all of history, you have 15 times where God is father. But then, something changes. Something miraculous happens. The New Testament is, is being written. Jesus steps into history, and God his father. Jesus' favorite word for God was father. He said father 165 times in the New Testament. Jesus claimed to be God's son. And he claimed God as father and he taught his followers to do the same. Jesus taught us to pray. What did he say? He said our Father. What is he saying? When you pray, pray as if you are in a relationship with your Father because you are. Jesus taught us to pray our Father. If you know God as Father, you're going to talk to him. If you understand that God is a good God, you're going to be inclined to talk with him and ask him for things and spend time with him.
Father, we just had a child. I don't know what to do. How do I do this? You're going to talk with God as Father if you know him as God the Father, a good father. And see, if you grew up with a good father, you probably still seek out their advice on big decisions, right? If you're in a good relationship with your father, you still seek out good counsel. And that's what God wants to do with us as father. He wants to give us good counsel. So Jesus was the son of God. He says that God has revealed himself as God the Father and God the Son to show us a healthy masculine relationship between father and son. This is something our cursed culture knows nothing about. You know, and Jesus lived from the identity of the Father. You see, how Father God saw Jesus is how Jesus lived. That's the Father's identity given to Jesus. How the Father saw Jesus is how Jesus lived. He lived from the Father's identity. If you would, turn your Bibles to Luke, the third chapter, 22nd verse. And this is the picture of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And I want you to know that the entire personhood of the Trinity is present right here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. What had Jesus done up until this point? Other than growing in wisdom and stature. He had not yet started his ministry. He had not yet performed a miracle. He had not yet preached the message. He had not yet cast out a demon. What had he done to this point? He had done nothing. Yet the Father in heaven says, you are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You have to understand something. Jesus did not work for the approval of God the Father. He worked from the approval of God the Father. If we understand how God is watching over us and loves us, we can then reflect and project that same identity and that love to our children. So we don't even love our children according to their performance. What had Caius done when he was born? He had done nothing. Yet instantly it was unconditional love. All he knows how to do is poop in his diaper. And I'm like, man, look at him go. Look at him go, man. I remember, you know, he was nine pounds, three ounces. I think he was 22 inches, 21, something like that, long. He's huge. And the first thing I said when, when they were writing up the weight and stuff, I said, did you guys have a baby this, si this size today or is he the winner? And they were like, oh, I think he's the, he's the largest baby. I was like, ha, yeah. O'Doyle rules. <laughs> but we loved him unconditionally. He had done nothing. And this is what the Father does. The Heavenly Father with Jesus. 
You don't mind if I tell one more poop story? There's a lot of serious stuff in here. Let me get, uh, let me get a breather. So <laughs> when Elon was born, we went on vacation to Florida. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, at that time we were having her real close to us, you know, because she was really young. And uh, she'd wake up in the middle of the night. You know, she's a good sleeper, though. I was really surprised. Real good sleeper. You know, after coming from, you know, Caius, who like, would not sleep ever. And one night we're in Florida and we're sitting there on the bed and it's late. It's like three in the morning. She's woke us up and I'm barely, I'm barely awake. You know, I'm like, Ooh, why is the light on? You know? And she's like, well, we got to change Elon's diaper. And so I'm laying like this. Elon's right out here. And I, I start to wake up and I start to lean up and I'm not even kidding you. It was like the matrix. The poop went <laughs> And I was like, and like the Red Sea, we split, and it hit the the uh, bed or the the bed thing, the the backboard to the bed. And I was, and the whole, I was that was a close one. But yet, even because of, even even when she does things like that, we still love her unconditionally. <laughs> yeah, it was it was dangerous. It was a dangerous time. But we love her anyways. <laughs> but God says to Jesus, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. You see, Jesus lived from his father's identity. And after this beautiful scene of Jesus' baptism, he is then led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. You can see this story in Luke, the fourth chapter. And immediately, Satan attacks that identity. And all of this is laid out in Scripture so that you can see it and see how to react to it. Because Satan is coming for your identity. Because you are men and women created in the image of God. And he wants to strip you and lie to you and defeat you and take away that identity. And that's exactly what he does to Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right here, Luke 4, he says, if you are the son of God. He uses God the Father's own words against God the Son. If you are the son of God. And so God calls us as sons and daughters, and Satan wants to attack that calling and that identity. You see, when God the Father said, I am well pleased with you, my son, that is a blessing spoken over the son. You hear Pastor Arm say this all the time. Life and death are in the... Exactly. Power of the tongue. He's quoting from Proverbs. Who wrote Proverbs. Yeah. And what is he described as? The wisest man in history. Probably should take that to heart. So life and death are in the power of the tongue. So when we speak life over our children, or are we speaking curses over our children? 
When God the Father says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that's the same type of blessing we need to speak over our own children. And there's many more we could go through. And if we want our children to succeed in this life, we must see them the way God sees them and speak to them the way God would speak to them. So, Jesus lived from the identity of the Father. He also reflected the Father's heart. John 14, 9 says this, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Like Father, like Son. Some people believe that God the Father is the mean one, and Jesus is the nice one, and the Holy Spirit is the weird one. They are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the Father heart of God. Colossians 1.15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. As men and women, I already said it, we are created in His image. And we image the invisible God as children of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so God expects us to mirror his image to our wife and our children as fathers. And Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How do you know that Father God loves you? Because he sent his son, who is the image of the invisible God, the Father heart of God, here as one of us, to die for us. Jesus says in John 10, he says, I and the Father are one. Are we reflecting the Father's heart with love, grace, mercy, patience, and being present with our children? Or are we reflecting our own broken, wounded hearts? Because we're holding on to some past hurts and some unforgiveness. Let me be very clear about this. You can forgive and still guard yourself from being abused. You can forgive and still guard yourself from being mistreated. You don't have to feel guilty about guarding yourself from being mistreated, but we have to forgive. We have no choice. Or our father wounds affecting our ability to be godly fathers. Jesus was sent by the Father to redeem us, to make orphans into sons and daughters and show us love, grace, mercy, patience, and to be present with us. He stepped out of glory. Sometimes when you talk with your kids and you talk like this and you're like, listen here, stop it. That's what I mean. Don't. No. Jesus didn't do that. God the Father didn't do that. He came down and humbled himself. He stepped out of glory for me and for you and for all the children of God. He's fully man, fully God, and he steps down out of glory and humbles himself. And that's the way he wants us to be with our children. 
He wants to seek and save that which was lost. The relationship between father and son, the relationship between father and daughter. Galatians 4, the the fourth and fifth verse say this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that what? We might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus reflected the Father's heart. Jesus also did the Father's work. How many people in here went to work with their dad when they were young? I did, and I hated it. My dad was a landscaper. You come onto a job, and there's 14 pallets of sod. I was like, this one's going to be a long one. You know, (laughs) it's going to be a long day. Put on your suntan lotion. My dad always used to tell me, you need to clip your your, your toenails before you put your boots on. It's one of the tips. (laughs) I'm like, why? He's like, because your toenails are going to (laughs) hurt from walking in those boots. So Jesus did the Father's work. John 5.19 says this. He says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For what other father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus did the father's work. Jesus' whole life is Jesus doing the father's work. I want all of us in here to know God as father. That's the only way we can heal our hearts. It's the only way. We heal our hearts by seeing God as Father, experiencing God as Father, opening up a relationship with God, the Father, so that then in turn, we can turn our hearts towards our children and reflect the Father heart of God. A few more scriptures before I end this. In Psalms 68th chapter in the fifth verse, the writer says that he is a father to the fatherless. In John, the 14th chapter and the 18th verse says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. These are Jesus' own words. And we've already established that he didn't do anything the Father didn't do. And we've already established that he came in the image, the the image of the invisible God. He is the Father heart of God. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In Galatians 4, The sixth verse, it says, We are no longer slaves, but sons. And if sons, then an heir through God. Everything that God has set aside, all the glory that he has for his son, Jesus Christ, he has also set aside for us. If you have come into Christ and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father looks down and sees Jesus because you have received righteousness the righteousness that was earned by Jesus Christ you have to understand and I want you to listen to this and I want you to repeat this if you have father wounds and I know we all do but your father God 
in heaven. I want you to say this, personalize it. My Father in heaven, he, he's not against me. He's for me. He protects me. He is tender with me. He is tough for me. He loves me. He wants the best for me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never abuse me. He will never betray me. And when you start to say those things and you start to believe those things, you start to heal those father wounds. You have to understand that you have a perfect father in heaven that heals and saves and delivers you. This revelation will heal your father wound. And now I know that by having a perfect father in heaven, I can forgive my earthly father. Get that relationship with your heavenly father so that he can then in turn heal the wounds that you have with your earthly father. So that when you turn towards your children, you project the father heart of God. Would you stand with me?